Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, this is Dennis Stratton, original guitarist from Iron Maiden, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Rock and roll, mate. Hulu Plus is a great way to binge watch your favorite shows. Hulu Plus has tons of episodes from comedies like SNL, Community, Modern Family, South Park, Family Guy, and thousands of other shows. Hulu Plus is only $7.99 a month. That's $7.99 for all the shows and movies you can watch. Catch up on current shows, binge on an old favorite, or catch a great movie. You can do it all on Hulu Plus. Right now, you can try Hulu Plus for a couple weeks for free on us when you go Hulu Plus forward slash metal, or when you go to talkingmetal.com and click on the Hulu Plus banner. Please make sure you use HuluPlus.com forward slash metal so you get an extended free trial and so they know that we sent you. It helps us keep the lights on and give you a better deal. One more time for the extended free trial, it's HuluPlus.com forward slash metal. The Talking Metal Podcast, coming to you from the Silver Spacecraft. I'm Bud Friendly, and now your hosts, Mark and John. Hey, it's John Astronomy, coming to you from Starbucks, New York City. Welcome to Talking Metal. Here's the co-host, Mark Striegel. Guys, we have a great episode for you. We are excited because... We're going to have an interview with the one and only Dennis Stratton, most famous for playing on that first Iron Maiden record, one of the most important records in heavy metal history, in my opinion. And, you know, I've been talking with you guys on Facebook about just how great that record is. I'm going to read a few of those comments in a minute. But first off, we want you to stay tuned because on an upcoming episode, we have Hailstorm. Finally, uh, we did a redo. I lost the Hailstorm interview. John went all the way to Pennsylvania like three hours away to catch up with them and you got a new interview with them right absolutely i met up with lizzie and joe and uh we hung out backstage and it was a great great concert tom Kiefer was the opening act there was a really cool thing at the end when tom came out and uh, did a song with hailstorm and uh, just a all-in-all great event those guys from hailstorm are really really cool excellent right now let's get into a little iron maiden this is iron maiden by Iron Maiden off the Iron Maiden record with Dennis Stratton on guitar. Hey! 
just heard was Dennis Stratton with Iron Maiden from 1980. A little sound sample. Go buy the full track on iTunes or pick up the CD on Amazon. You guys have been corresponding with me on Facebook. I wrote, what is your favorite song off the first Iron Maiden record? And Brendan Kelly checked in, said Phantom of the Opera versus Remember Tomorrow. Don't know. That's a tough one for me. Uh, Benny Dean said have to go with the opening track, Prowler. Running Free is a close second. Uh, and a lot of you guys checked in. I'm not going to read through all the comments now, but a lot of great, great comments. Go to our Facebook page, the Talking Metal Facebook page, and read all the comments for yourself. There's about uh, 12 or 13 comments from you guys. Let's see, 12, I think 12 comments at this, at this stage with people talking about their favorite song off that first Iron Maiden record. Very, very cool. I was very big into collecting, believe it or not, Iron Maiden pins. Remember those little circular pins? Yeah, definitely. Me too. I actually had quite a few of them, including the Women in Uniforms pin, which was the last song, uh, last thing actually Dennis Stratton ever did with uh, Maiden was the video shoot for Women in Uniform. Anyways, let's get into a little classic metal right now, some Witchfinder General. This song is called Music. was music by Witchfinder General all the way back to 1983, one of my favorite years. Definitely some old school shit right there. Right now, let's go new school. 
but an old school sound. This is a band, not Iron Maiden. They're called Iron Man. They were at one time a Black Sabbath tribute band. They're now an original band, and they sound great. Uh, the guys over at Metal Blade have allowed us to play this track in full on Talking Metal. So here it is. Hail the Haze by Iron Man in full on Talking Metal.
was Hell the Haze by Iron Man, a metal blade recording artist right here on Talking Metal. Yeah, great stuff. The band is Iron Man, and we are going to have hopefully an interview with one of those guys coming up real soon on Talking Metal. Send us your emails at talkingmetal at yahoo.com. We may read them on the podcast. Send us a review uh, or post us a review on iTunes under Talking Metal. We may read that on the podcast. You can comment on our Facebook page, uh, and we may read those on the podcast. You can also stay in touch with us on Twitter at <laughs> at twitter.com. Uh, yeah, just I've had this weird cough for the last few days. Uh, last week, it's just like lingering. I sound like a smoker, but I'm not. It's pretty nasty. Sorry about that, guys. And Chiaki emailed in to say he was not the winner of the striper contest. I uh, mistakenly identified him as the the winner of the striper contest back on episode 10. Here we are. What? Episode 432, I think. Yes, 432. Chiaki, one of the long, long time listeners of Talking Metal and friend of ours. Uh, I wanted to also let you guys know that if you go to the brand new Talking Metal website, which is TalkingMetal.com or TalkingMetalDigital.com, you can actually post comments on our site, similar to the way comments are posted on Blabbermouth. Uh, So definitely check that out, guys. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. I saw a few comments up there, but uh, we'd love to get some more more interaction with you guys on TalkingMetal.com or TalkingMetalDigital.com. Got to break in real quick talking about the website. I've been watching Hulu Plus constantly. I haven't even told you this. My favorite show is Reno 911. I know it has nothing to do with metal, but it is a really amazing show. On Hulu Plus? Yes, on Hulu Plus. Yeah, great, great. HuluPlus.com forward slash metal is the, uh, is the link you want to use to get your free two-week trial subscription of Hulu Plus on Talking Metal. Guys, there's numerous ways you can support Talking Metal. we got the Hulu Plus thing happening. There's PayPal donations, which have been rather low lately, so we'd love to see a PayPal donation from one of you guys or more than one of you guys. And buy a T-shirt. You can uh, also use our Amazon link. Somewhere somebody right now is about to make a purchase on Amazon, so why not use the Talking Metal links to open your Amazon and uh, then search your, your product at that point. And, you know, we get a little kickback on that. All those links and all that good stuff is located in the show notes. Excellent stuff there. Let's get into a little crossover right now, a little crossover metal punk, if you will. This is Eyes of Tomorrow by the New York band Cro-Mags. Don't care. 
Eyes of Tomorrow by Cro-Mags, a New York City band that started out as hardcore, but by the time they hit the, the late 80s, early 90s, they were definitely a crossover band. And when I say crossover, I mean they crossed over from that hardcore punk sound to more, you know, not more of a metal sound, but they incorporated a heavy metal thrash sound in, in their sound. So that's, that's where the term crossover comes from when you hear that, guys. I'm sure most of you know that already. It's when bands punk bands or hardcore bands start to pull in metal influences or even thrash metal influences into their sound. And the Cro-Mags was definitely one of those bands. Uh, great New York City band from back in the day. And that song, by the way, that we just heard, Eyes of Tomorrow, I feel that that not only crosses over into thrash, but it also pulls in like some rap hip-hop sounds. So definitely uh, crosses over into more than just, just metal. Anyways, right now, why don't we get into the interview? That's great, guys. This is an interview Mark conducted just recently with Dennis Stratton. Check it out. A little prowler right into the interview. This is Dennis. Hey, Dennis. How are you? I'm sitting in my car, so you might hear a few cars go by. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us on the Talking Metal Podcast. I wanted to start off by seeing what you're up to now. What is currently going on with Dennis Stratton in 2013? And what's in store for 2014? Well, it's quite strange, really, because... Uh... This is, you know, the first time I've not been in a full-time band for as far as I can remember. Um, it's given me a lot more freedom. Um, I'm working with three bands in, in and around London um, and a duo. Um, I've been doing a lot more work abroad in Europe, uh, basically because of the, uh, um, the, the trips I do to Italy with the Clairvoyance, which started about six or seven years ago. And... Um, since going over to South Africa and Bulgaria, more people, more promoters are coming in and asking me, um, would I do the, the, the early years, the maiden years, uh, the first and second album, songs that I worked on and recorded. 
Um, so the more people that ask me to do it, we put a band together and we, we go and play, you know, and uh, uh, there's a few festivals through this summer that we're doing and, um, and then I'm back in Italy in um, November. So um, it's quite strange not being involved in a full-time band like after 15 years with Praying Mantis. So uh, I'm enjoying a bit of freedom. I do miss the recording bit of it, but... Um, I don't know, it's, it's a different it's different situation at the moment, so I'm quite enjoying the freedom and also moving about, playing with different musicians, which is quite nice. Cool, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the uh, the first two Iron Maiden records where, you know, those songs on Killers, people don't might not realize that you were actually playing some of those songs live when you were in Iron Maiden and uh, obviously working on the songs before the Killers record was, was recorded. So, uh, yeah, so you mentioned about doing shows abroad. What about the United States? Any chance you'd ever come over here? Well, going back to the States um, could be a bit of a problem because um, the last time I was there with Lionheart in uh, 84, um, I've not been back since, only for a holiday. <laughs> um, but um, if, if a chance came up with an American promoter who wanted us to go out there like we did in South Africa and Bulgaria and uh, if they wanted me to go out there like I'm looking at going to Brazil early part of next year um, hopefully who knows uh, it, it, I'm always willing to go anywhere um, you're never too old so I'd love to go back to the States exactly you mentioned the clairvoyance earlier who actually plays in that band with you yes um, uh, strangely enough, six, seven years ago, I got an email from a guy called Marco Gamba. He does the um, Maiden fanzine, Eddie's. He's a massive Maiden fan. He's, he's written books on Maiden. And he emailed me to go over and do a, an Iron Maiden convention and um, to play with the Clairvoyance. Uh, they're a fantastic band. They're working on their third album at the moment. They're based in, in Lake Como in Italy. And um, uh, the the guy, the main guy in, in the clairvoyance is Luca. He uh, writes all the material and he produces the album. He also plays guitar with Doro uh, when he's not working with um, when he's not working with uh, the the, the uh, clairvoyance. Um, it's, there's uh, Marco, um, Manuel, Paolo, um, Luca, and last but not least. Uh, Gabriel, Gabriel, great, great vocalist. Um, he came over to um, Bulgaria with me and fronted the Maiden Years set that I did over in Bulgaria that was re recorded and filmed. And um, they're a great band. Um, as I say, I love going out there. I've been going back ever since the first convention because it, it's great to play to young kids, the younger generation of Maiden fans where before I probably would have been playing to their parents or even their grandparents. I'm not sure, but um, it's just great, you know, to go out there and play big shows. And, um, yeah, I love it. Can you tell us what you were up to musically before joining Iron Maiden? I, I was reading your band Remus Down Boulevard did an arena tour opening for some uh, fairly big acts, right? Yeah, uh, many bands before Remus. We did. We all, all, all kids growing up play with different bands. Um, Remus Down Boulevard was probably our first really serious band. Uh, we signed to Jonathan King uh, 
which I won't speak about him after all the news. But um, we were signed to Quarry Management, which was uh, status quo's manager, Rory Gallagher. And as um, soon as possible, we went straight out on the road with, um, with status quo uh, in the mid-70s. We went all over Europe and Scandinavia playing to some massive crowds. It was quite strange for us uh, playing at the Marquee in Wardour Street to 300, 400, 500 people, um, supporting different different bands. And then straight away we're in the middle of a, a massive arena with Quo playing to 60, 80,000 people. Um, it was absolutely brilliant. And um, uh, bring, brought back, you know, brings back very good memories for... Um, for playing with Quo, and uh, unfortunately, you know, the band, we recorded an album, uh, it never got released, and um, and so, basically, we sort of, we were still playing, Steve and Dave Murray used to come up and watch us on a Sunday night at the Bridge House, um, and I think that's how, that's how they ended up asking me to join the band, because they saw me play, and they saw me singing, and, um, and that's how I got involved with, with uh, Maiden. Now, some people might not realize that you were the person who brought Clive Burr to Maiden, and you were the one who got him in the band, and that happened shortly before the first Iron Maiden record was recorded. Were you good friends with him before joining Maiden? Can you share the story of how you got him in the band? Yeah, I, I knew Clive many years before Maiden. Uh, we used to do a gig in Oxford where his band used to play, and... Remus Down Boulevard used to play, and um, when I got asked to to join Maiden, I was asked to go to a rehearsal studio, and when I got there, there, there wasn't a drummer, and it was just uh, Deano and um, Dave Murray and, and Steve and the road crew, and um, we went through some of the some of the guitar parts. I took a cassette home, worked on Phantom, and, and the funny thing was with Maiden was that they hadn't used harmony guitars and um, with RDB we was all harmony guitars because we grew up with Wishbone Ash and Capability Brown and things like that so we loved the harmony guitar techniques and um, putting the harmony guitars on the songs for Maiden uh, brought out a lot more in the songs as you can hear on the first album there's loads of harmonies on there um, I put on too many I think on Phantom Rod Rod asked him to take some of them off because it sounded a bit like Queen or Brian May. But yeah, it was um, it, it was a sort of change in uh, musical direction a little bit just for the for the harmony guitars. But they never had a drummer and I took a guy along called Johnny Richardson who was playing drums in RDB. But he suffered badly with his ears um, and he loud volume. And as soon as he heard the rehearsal, he, he said he couldn't do it. So he, he sort of walked out. And a couple of days later, I bumped into Clive in our local pub round by where Clive used to live at Wanstead. And um, I told him I'd joined Maiden, and I told him they were looking for a drummer. Was he interested in popping down with me? He said, yeah. Um, I took him to the studio the next day, introduced him to the lads, and uh, I'd already played him a cassette in the car, so he knew roughly, got a little bit of an edge, to, so knew what we were going to play. And, um, yeah, he sat in for the session and played really well. And uh, Steve and Dave and, and myself had a little conversation about it afterwards. And um, uh, the rest is history. He, uh, he came straight in. And, um, yeah, that's how it all started. You know, we, we were actually then a, a five-piece um, made up to start recording the album. 
When was the last time you spoke with Clive Burr, and how did you handle the news of his death? Uh, it was sometime near the end of summer last year. Um, I saw Clive. I'd seen him a couple of times many years before that, but um, as his condition got worse, um, I got a call from Noel Buckley, who's one of Clive's friends. Well, he's one of our all our friends, and um, Noel said that, that Clive was in a pretty bad way. Um, so I contacted Dave Lights, who's still a really good friend of mine, and uh, and Pete Bryant, who was my guitar roadie at the time in Maiden. I contacted them too and said that it'd be nice to go and see Clive. We didn't know what to expect. Uh, we did get quite a shock. Um, Clive was in quite of a latter stage of the condition. Uh, he could just about move his his, uh, his eyes. Uh, it was a sad sad day. Um, it makes you realise how lucky we all are. Um, I'd never moan anymore if I get a cold or a toothache. Um, but um, we held his hand, we sat next to him, we was in the sunshine, we talked about the old days and every now and again a little smile would come on his face, but um, uh, he, he, he's in a better place now because um, that, is no, that is no life whatsoever. So we saw him the end of the summer last year and then uh, we got the call that he had passed away. Um, we went over and see Mimi and um, when we arrived at the uh, the chapel for the for the uh, cremation, um, Mimi asked for the, for us, me, the road crew and myself, and Tino Troy from Praying Mantis would we carry the coffin in, which was quite an honour. So um, myself, Dave Lights, Loopy, Pete um, and uh, Tino, we all got together and carried him in. And um, it was a, it was a lovely service. There was some a lovely guy that did the service, a vicar called the Governor, and he's a Maiden fan, which was quite nice. He told us a few funny stories in the early days, and uh, it was a very nice day. And um, it was sad, but uh, to be quite honest with you, uh, I, when I saw him at the end of last summer, uh, no one would want to be in that situation. So he's in a better place now. God bless you. And uh, so that's that. When Iron Maiden toured with Kiss in 1980, some people said you were actually hanging out with Kiss and their crew more than you were hanging out with the, the Iron Maiden guys. Is that true? Yeah, in 1980, uh, we were all, after the Judas Priest tour, um, we were asked to go on the uh, the Kiss tour, which was quite nice. It was Europe, again, Europe and Scandinavia. They didn't want us to um, support us in England because I think we had too many fans. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it was strange because I toured with Quo in the 70s and other bands, uh, I always like to get on with all the bands on the, on the tour. I don't see there's a, a headlining band and support. We're all one show. Um, there's no egos with me. Um, I love talking to musicians. Uh, with with Judas Priest, I got on really well with with Glenn. And uh, you know, I don't like friction between bands. And um, at the beginning of the tour, um, Rod made it quite clear that he didn't want any of the band mixing with Kiss. Um, unfortunately, that was the start of the problems with me and Rod. We started of the arguments because I'm, I'm not like that sort of person. And um, I got to know Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley really well. I became very good friends with them while we were at the beginning of the tour. Um, they took me out on my birthday um, in October in, in Stockholm. Um, Paul Stanley gave me a signed uh, fire helmet from the band. 
Uh, they took us out for a meal, me and Dave Lights. Um, great blokes, and that was the time when they had their makeup. So anyone taking pictures in the restaurant were <laughs> quickly thrown out because um, they didn't want their identities shown. But unfortunately, Rod didn't like that. But um, yeah, I used to hang around them quite a bit, and and also I hung around with with the Maiden Road crew as well because you just need a break from the band. And I find a road crew are more interesting when they have more of a laugh. And that's the sort of person I am. So, you know, yes, it's true. I did hang out with them quite a lot. Yeah, there's a cool picture of uh, of you and, and Gene Simmons on your website. Any other KISS-related personal stories you can share with us? Well, the photos of Gene Simmons and myself and Paul Stanley, uh, there's loads of photographs. A lot of them are on Facebook as well as the website. Um, and as you can see... We all have we all had quite a laugh. Um, they've they've still got their makeup on, and um, yeah, as I say, I I, I got on them very well. Used to, I used to go and sit and watch their sound check and watching them practice the stunts with the fire eating and everything else. It was it was like a circus, but it was good fun, and um, I've got good memories from that. That you know would be with me forever. When you look back at all the albums you did with Praying Mantis, which ones stand out as your favourite? Um, Praying Mantis. Well, when I first went into the band, there wasn't really a band. Um, I found it was myself, Tino, Troy, and Chris Troy, and that's how it stayed because we never had a permanent drummer, we never had a permanent singer, and Tino used to do the keyboards on the albums. So basically, it was just three of us. Whenever we toured for 15 years, we were signed to. Uh, Pony Canyon in Tokyo, and we were backwards and forwards there for 15 years. Um, it, it, we just used to get a singer come along and and uh, and do the, do the album, and then if he did the tour, he did the tour. Um, my favourite two albums are out of all of them recordings is the two we did with the same lineup. It's the only two albums we did with the same lineup, which was Bruce Bisland on drums and Tony O'Hara on vocals. And um, Forever in Time and the other one, I can't remember. But, Mark, I imagine if you look through your Discovery, Discovery, or whatever it is you have in front of you, you'll be able to tell me um, the name of the, uh, the the other album. But there's the two my two favourite albums. Okay, because I'm going to have to look that up, check that out. I wrote quite a few songs on them two albums, and uh, uh, the best years of my life got um, voted best song in Japan, so I was quite proud of that. Um, so yeah, they, they, you know, all the albums I think were great. Uh, it's a shame that um, they didn't get more recognition um, throughout Europe and things, but it's just getting up that next rung under the ladder. And um, as I say, I still see Tino and Chris <clears throat> doing a festival with them in October. I played with them in uh, Holland when I headlined a tour in Amsterdam and they were they were second on the bill and I got up and played with them. We're still good mates. So, yeah, good good memories again. I've read you're a big David Coverdale fan. Do you know him uh, personally? Have you hung out with him? David Coverdale. Well, what can you say? The voice. I, I was brought up on Paul Rogers. Um, anyone with a husky, bluesy, great vibrato voice with lots of love and feeling and warmth, um, Paul Rogers for me. Um, and then, of course, David Coverdale, you know, I, I, from the early days, Stormbringer, 
and uh, things like that. Yeah, Soldier of Fortunes. One of well, probably my best, the best track I've heard. Uh, I'm going to have that played at my funeral, <laughs> and uh, hopefully not too soon. Um, yeah, what a vocalist! And um, I got to meet him um, while he was recording down at um, Islington with the White Snake Boys, and uh, I just formed Lionheart. And I went to the studio and met him, and uh, we had a game of snooker. And then I, I sort of drove him mad to let Lionheart support White Snake on on four or five gigs that they did in England. And uh, I kept on at him, and we went. I bumped into him in Oxford Street. We went shopping, and I I gave him a cassette. And then um, I got a call from their management that uh, we were doing four or five gigs with them down in St Austell, the Coliseum in St Austell. And uh, and off we went, and I, it was just fantastic because I love David's voice, um, and also one of my greatest memories was that um, uh, we went, we were all staying at the same hotel, and we were at the bar having a drink, and me and Steve Mann, and Steve Mann, great guitarist, great guy, played great keyboards, and we were standing at the bar, just the three of us, and I looked through this this glass panel door, and there was a piano, and I said to Dave. Come on, David. Wine, women, and song. And he, he, I'm not singing that. He said, I went. So Steve got. We opened the door, and Steve started playing the piano, wine, women, and song. And the, and David come in with his brandy and coke or his Jack and Coke. And there we were standing round a piano with him singing wine, women, and song. And it just made me go cold. It, it just. It was just a memory I'll always remember, and it was brilliant. <laughs> Who are some of your favorite guitar players of all time? Well, my favorite guitar players um, um, start with the Beatles, I suppose, where I started to learn to play guitar. And then going on to Jimmy Page of um, with a whole lot of love, learning with the old record player in your bedroom and putting, putting a big coin on the needle so it, you can play it, the solo over and over again or the riff. Um, but as time moved on... Um, one of my greatest influences when I was when I was early days, a teenager, um, in my early twenties, was Jeff Whitehorn. Uh, Jeff's with Progal Harem now, but Jeff used to play at the local pub, and I was learning to play. I must have been about nineteen, twenty, and Jeff was playing the old Les Paul, and what a fantastic player! And uh, I, I got to know him then, and we're still really good mates now. We did a few jams together at uh, the Bridge House. Um, Sort of many years ago, I saw him a little while ago. Uh, but as as I moved on, one of my greatest influences has always been Mr. Steve Lukather. Um, there's many many guitarists that I love. The for speed, it's Malmstrom for uh, Vi, Steve Vi for class speed. It's got to be Satriani for blues. It's got to be Gary Moore. You know there are so many great guitarists, and and the more I'm seeing the youngsters coming through now. Uh, there's more great guitars coming out. But my, why Lucifer gets it for me is that he plays all styles. He can do Michael Jackson. He can do any kind of um, rhythms, any kind of style of playing, jazz, rock, metal. Uh, Quincy Jones, the dude, with the Picaro boys on it. You know, all them years ago, what a great album. And on the solos he's doing with Randy Crawford. He's just, um, he's just his style... He's just good at everything, you know, and, I, and I've 
tried to meet him about four times and I missed him in Los Angeles and I missed him at a hotel in London and I keep trying to meet up with him. I spoke to him, but I've never actually met up with him. And uh, But he gets it for me. He's the he's class. So uh... Thanks so much for joining us, Dennis. We really appreciate you speaking with us here on Talking Metal. And it's just so great to hear the, the stories from your past. And we wish you the best success in the future.
What you just heard was my interview with Dennis Stratton, little maiden going into the interview, a little praying mantis coming out of the interview. That song was Best Years. It was off the Forever in Time 1998 record. The other album that I think Dennis was trying to remember during the interview was Nowhere to Hide. And now let's end today's show with a little more Dennis Stratton off the 1984 album by his band Lionheart, a band that once included Les Binks from Judas Priest fame. Les is not on this record, but we'll end today's show with a track off of that record. It is uh, called Hot Tonight. Great, Mark. And guys, remember to use Hulu Plus. Click the links on TalkingMetal.com. Check out the show notes and make sure to support the artists you hear on Talking Metal. Definitely. This is Lionheart from Just